How are you out there? Good. Good. We're in Matthew 25. We've been looking at Jesus' words to the multitudes as he gave the Olivet Discourse. We went through all of Matthew 24, verse by verse. We're into the second parable of Matthew 25 tonight. Uh, These kingdom parables are parables of readiness and encouraging us to live a certain way, to have a a level of being alert. Are you alert tonight? Amen. Are you looking for the coming of the Lord? Are you staying in love with Jesus? Okay, that's the point of the drill. Since everybody said yes, we can all go home now. I don't need to preach any of this, but we're in Matthew 25. I'm going to start in verse 14, and I'm going to read through uh, probably verse 30 tonight, but we're going to cover 14 through 18 tonight. I want to give you context here for this entire kingdom parable. Matthew 25, it says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make... That's not in there, by the way. That I, I added that for effect. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received the two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sobering, sobering words of Jesus here as he just delivers these parables. And, you know, you look at the outcome of them, verse 20 through 30. We're going to go back and do that in another session, God willing. But we're going to look at the first 
you know, a few verses here, 14 through 18, and see about the setup of this parable. There's so many implications in the finishing part. Uh, we're not going to get to cover those. It's going to maybe take a few weeks. But this parable here is a parable, and it's called the parable of the talents, if you didn't pick that up. It is given to us here in kind of two parts. 14 through 19 is the setup. 20 through 30 is the, the lesson as it's applied. Now, these kingdom parables, especially here in 25 and all throughout the New Testament that Jesus gave, were parables of readiness, but this one adds to it diligence. So it's a parable of readiness and diligence, and it's for all believers. You and I need to be ready. Ready for what? ready to do the will of the Lord, ready to stand in the day of trial. We need to be ready, amen, to deal with persecution. Now, I know, I know the clapping trails off and I say, persecution. <laughs> but we need to be ready for these things, amen. And we also need to be diligent, and that's an important thing. Why? Well, you know, we can't just... We can't just be ready and watching and, you know, kind of doing the bare minimum. We've got to be diligent and productive. It's wonderful to be watching for the Lord's return. But if all we do is watch, we might want to consider the words that the angels gave Jesus' his disciples when he ascended into heaven. This is what the angels said in Acts 1.11. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You know, we've got a lot of people in the body of Christ who are standing around gazing when the Lord's looking for laborers to bring in the harvest. Are you a gazer today? Watcher is coming. But listen, we need more than just gazers. More than just church attenders. More than just people who fill the seats. Amen. We need people who are doing something productive for the kingdom of God. Amen. So add to your readiness diligence. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of people going like this. we got to do more than be gazers. Amen. The setup for this parable begins with a man, a, a, a man of wealth, a, a man of riches and means, traveling far away from his home and making the decision to leave his assets in the charge of others. How many understand that? That's, a, that's quite an interesting pr predicament to be in. When you're leaving all of what you've worked for, all of what you've gained, all of what you've poured your blood, sweat, and tears into you, and now you have to leave it for other people to take care of, that's an interesting predicament to be in. Most of us don't have many people that we can entrust all that we have to. And if you think about that for a little bit, this guy is in an interesting spot here. This is obviously a picture of Jesus leaving the earth and assigning and implementing the operation and the function of his church to his servants. That's what this is a picture of here. Jesus died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He appeared for 40 days to his disciples and to others to the point that so many people saw him that you could prove as through eyewitnesses' accounts in a court of law that he had actually risen from the dead. It was too many people who had saw him, too many people who would testify, too many people who were willing to die rather than deny that Jesus rose. It, it is a fact that he rose from the grave, amen. Yet he came and he rose and he stayed for a little while, but then he ascended into heaven. And that's where we catch the disciples being gazers. There he goes. 
but he left what was his in the care of his servants. Think if I mean, if you think your goods and your possessions and your house and all your stuff is precious, think about the church of Jesus Christ that had to be left in the care of men. Wow. I've seen some of the way people treat the church and treat others and use the ministry. And there's times where I've looked around and thought, I feel sorry for you, Lord. I don't know how you put up with it. And we're going to see that some of these servants were faithful and some of them were not. Some of them were righteous. And Jesus calls some, one of them wicked. And he calls them lazy. And there again, it's to provoke us to understand that we need to be productive as well as ready. And so his servants were endowed with what he had. It says, and he delivered his goods to them. Did you hear that? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I got the goods. Come on, say it like you mean it. I got the goods. That's it. You got the goods, buddy. Amen? What goods are we talking about here? The, the gifts and the abilities and the spiritual empowerments and the opportunities and the authority and the, uh, of, the, of the kingdom of God. You and I as believers have the goods. God didn't leave us weak. He didn't leave us lost. He didn't leave us confused. He didn't leave us powerless. No, he's endowed us and equipped us and entrusted to us the things of the kingdom of God. And whether you feel like it or not, or whether you want to admit it or not, you got the goods. You're gifted. You're talented. You're called. You're anointed. Come on, some of you ain't buying what I'm selling here. But you need to stretch your faith a little bit tonight. I don't feel like I have the goods. You got them, whether you feel it or not. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. The Bible says that we're gifted. We're anointed. We're empowered. We're the head and not the tail. We're overcomers. And so he entrusts them and he delivers his goods to them. A picture of the kingdom, a picture of the church, yet a parable encouraging readiness and diligence. Verse 15, he calls the things left in the charge of his servants talents. And to us, the word that we use for talents uh, leads us to a place where what's being spoken of here is not what we would automatically think. You know, we think of talents as abilities, so the guy who got five talents, you know, he could sing and dance and write and play music. And the other guy got two. And then the one guy, man, he could barely sing. And then, you know, talents, right? No, it's not talents in that sense. Although th th there is an application where you can look at it in that sense because we have the goods and we have abilities and we're all anointed and we all have a calling on our lives. Oh, no, 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 Pastor, just you have a calling. Get up there and do your job so we can. No, all of us are called. Amen. So, you know, we got the goods, but it's not a talent in the sense that we think a talent is. A talent in biblical times was a unit of measurement for weighing precious metals. It was used to weigh gold and silver. It was the largest denomination of currency in that day. When someone said you, you had a talent, you know, I mean, it's like, what's the largest bill in the, in, uh, in the United States? Is it 100 or is there... Is there there's $500 bills? You can tell how poor I am. I ain't even seen one. <laughs> I got a $2 bill, but no. There's 500s? 100? Yeah. He's a banker. We're going with him. 
So that's the largest denomination. So a talent was the largest denomination. And it's used to, you know, denote a currency here. The Greek word, uh, well, actually the Hebrew word was kikar, and it means a flat, round, gold, silver disc. So think of a hunk of metal, a hunk of gold, a big disc of gold. Anybody want one of those? (laughs) In Greek, the word was talenton. That's where we get the word talent from. I realize the, the New Testament's translated from the Greek. Talenton means a large monetary measurement equal to 6,000 drachmas or denarii. Those were the Greek and Roman silver coins. So when we see talent, what's being described here is uh, a huge sum of money. Each one of these servants was given a huge chunk of money. Now, I didn't... There, there are so many discrepancies in what it would uh, translate into in our modern currency that I couldn't get a definitive answer. So I'm just going to tell you it was a good chunk of money. And you know what? Understand something. Uh, this money that they were given was big. It was a lot. It was something that, you know, they needed to be responsible for. And they were expected to use what they had been endowed with productively. And that's what I want you to grab tonight. What we've been, well, uh, we get excited when we find out we got the goods. And now here comes the small, the fine print. You got to use what you've been given productively. And, and these guys were expected. They knew what was expected of them. They knew what the master expected of them, that these goods, this large sump, uh, lump of money was given to them and entrusted to them by their master, and they were expected to be productive with it. Now, our diligence and readiness, our productivity, all of these things doesn't save us. I want, I want you to get that tonight. Why? Because you can read things like this, and you can dig into a text like this, and you can be like, oh, I got to get busy. I got to be productive. I got I to do, I'm not doing enough. I got to do more. I need more works. Listen, none of that saves you. You and I are saved by grace tonight, amen? It's, salvation is a free gift. God doesn't save us based on our performance, but he does reward us according to our performance and our productivity. Amen. So don't get hung up on the works thing in the sense that, you know, I got to step it. I got to step my game up. No, I'm not going to make it. You are saved by grace, but we will be judged for our productivity or not. Now, Jesus models the spiritual drive to do kingdom things. And, you know, Jesus, even as a boy, had a sense of calling. He had a sense of purpose. He wasn't confused about who he was. You know, oh, well, Jesus in the teenage years, he wasn't too sure. No, he knew exactly who he was. And he had a sense of uh, urgency to do kingdom things. Listen to Luke 2, 48 through 50. Jesus disappears from Mary and Joseph, and he's in the temple, and they don't know where he is, and they're freaking out because they've lost Jesus. You and I freak out when we lose our keys. Could you imagine losing the Messiah? It says this in Luke 2. So when they saw him, Mary and Joseph, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, like only a mother could say, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So Jesus' response to them is, 
you guys need to settle down. Don't, don't you get it, who I am? Don't you know what I'm here to do? Don't you know uh, I, I have a destiny? I have pro- things to do to be productive? Didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? Even Jesus, and I don't like to use the word driven, but I want to use it here. He was driven to do his father's will. They said, Lord, Lord, eat. You know, you've been ministering all the time. You're going to pass out. Have some matzah. Jesus said, I have bread to eat that you know not of. Didn't mean he had a Scooby-Doo lunch pail underneath his robe. He said, my bread, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Come on tonight. You and I are called. We've got the goods. We're, we have a purpose. We have a calling. We're expected to be productive. And to some degree, we should be driven to do the will of God for our lives because it's the greatest purpose of our lives. Now, human nature dictates two responses right out of the gate here when we see how the talents are divided up. You know, the, the number of talents were left to servants according to their ability. It says here, we're going to dig into that at some point. But realize, one got five, say five. One got two, and one got one. You guys were good. You just said, five, two, one. That's the way they busted it up here. That's the way the master meted it out. Now, human nature, when it looks at the dispersal of the talents, you know, the guy who got five got a whole boatload of money. The guy who got one, you know, he got a lot less than the guy who got two and five. But human nature dictates, you know, two responses right out of the gate. Number one, the first response is this. It's not fair that we didn't all get the same amount. Come on, you self-centered, western, woke people who want to complain about everything and it's all going to be fair and everybody's got to get the same. Well, not even God does it that way. We're given a measure of faith, and it's all different. It, we're given a measure of ability. We're given different talents, different anointings. And you know what? The whole, it's all got to be fair crowd, they're not going to make it in heaven. And you know what? God is fair. And God knows who can handle five and who can handle two and who can handle one. And I've never had one of anything that I really needed five of. Well, God, I want more. I want bigger. Well, be faithful with the little. See, God doesn't mess up. God doesn't make mistakes. But human nature is it's not fair. We should all got the same. We should have the level playing field. We should share the wealth. We should spread. No, God's not a socialist. God's not a communist. God is God. And he does what's right in his eyes. God doesn't give everyone the same call, the same gifts, the same responsibilities. And here's why. Because he's made us all unique. The gifts that you have, I may not need. The gifts that I have, you may not need. Well, I want to be able to do this. I want to sing in the worship team and uh, preach messages. And Look, I get it. It's human nature. But we're unique. And that's the reason why we all have unique gifts Because we're all called to accomplish unique things. Now, I know that grates at the culture that we live in now, but let it grate away. Amen? Because God's way is better. You know, this whole uh, God's not fair thing is not going to play out well for man when the lump of clay shakes its fist at the potter. By the way, nothing in the kingdom is fair. Now I got your attention. You know why? Because if God was about fair, I'd be in hell and you'd be there with me. 
You and I would have to answer for our own sins. It's not about fair. It's about grace. Everything in the kingdom of God is about grace. It's not about what's fair. You know, it's amazing that people, when they get shortchanged on something, I want fair. Then when God says, well, you need to pay for your sins, I want grace. (laughs) Let's make up our mind tonight. Let's not be schizophrenic. Let's not be duplicitous. It's about grace. So human nature says it's not fair, but you know what? As mature believers, we understand there's certain people going to be more gifted than we are, more talented than we are, have more responsibility. And I'm watching your faces out there. And that's just the way it is, and God doesn't make mistakes. And if we want increase, we've got to be faithful with what we've got. Amen. Look at no... Here's the second human response to the way the talents were divvied out. One is that it's not fair. We should have all got the same. Two is I want the most. Isn't that human nature? All of us want the most. You know, well, if anybody should have got the most, it should have been me. How's your ego tonight? (laughs) Wisdom dictates that we should be careful what we wish for when we want the most. Because of the warning of Luke 12, 47. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Uh-oh. Verse 48. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him will be much required. I want the most. Do you realize what goes with the most? Do you re- I want the bigger anointing. I want the position. Do you realize what goes with the position and the anointing? A shorter lease, stricter judgment, uh, you know, less ability to, you know, kind of just do what you want. I've gotten to the place where I just want what God wants me to have. I don't want anything more. And anything less. And I've learned that really my one goal is to maximize everything he's given me, whether it's little or small, to just maximize it so that he can say, well done. The guy with the five heard well done, and the guy with the two heard the well done. And so all of us are going to hear well well done if we're faithful with the Lord has given us. Don't always want the more. Sometimes you don't need the biggest piece of cake. Sometimes you don't need the largest slice of pizza. Sometimes you don't need the lion's share of anything. Let's get those egos in check, amen. Consider others better than yourself, the Bible says. The flesh says, I'm number one. I want the most. I want the, I want the biggest. But it's the wrong attitude for us to have. So it's not fair, and we've answered that. I want the most, and we've answered that. Let's take a look at verse 16 and 17. It chronicles how each servant handled the gift that was given them. Now listen to this. 16 says, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them. This guy was a stockbroker, apparently. And made another five talents. And likewise, the one who had received two gained Two more. And it says, but he who received one went and dug. So we'll get to the guy who dug a hole. But let's just take a look at the breakdown of these first two. Notice two out of the three servants were productive with what they were given. You know, and you might say, well, two out of three ain't bad. Well, for that one person who was unproductive, it was bad. 
and let's not be the unproductive person. Two out of the three were productive. Now, there was a reward connected to their productivity. Uh, right away, they went out and did some things. They, they got busy. The subtle point is that God knows exactly what he's doing when he hands us our spiritual assignments. Well, why did that guy get five? Because he knew he could handle five. And what did he do with this five? Immediately he went out and traded with them. He was savvy. He was diligent. He was aggressive. Immediately. Did you get that? He didn't putz around. He didn't take a vacation. He didn't spend a little bit and think, I'll pay it back. I'll leave an IOU. He went out immediately, put the money to work, and was productive with what he was given, and he doubled what he had. So God knows exactly what he's doing when he assigns spiritual gifts. God knows exactly what he's doing when he gives a spiritual assignment. I'm saying that tonight for each one of us to feel comfortable in the fact that God did not by accident put gifts in us, put desires in us, put callings in us, put abilities in us. You're not an accident tonight. You're not on purpose. And you're who you are because God wired you that way because he has something unique for you to do. So the five did what he had to do. The two did what he do. He, God knows the exact level of discipline and motivation that's in each of our hearts. You know, this is really about discipline and motivation. You know, and those are almost curse words in our de- generation. People don't want to discipline themselves. They want to cast off all restraint. People are not motivated. We have the, uh, the, the most unenergetic workforce I've ever seen in my life. Do you guys, you guys realize what customer service is like? Yeah, what's that? So, I mean, there are some where you go and they, get, they serve you well and they do it. But, you know, it's just amazing. One time I was in Canada and we went to a, a very classy, upscaled uh, eatery. We went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And you can ask my wife this. We were at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and this was a while ago, and the manager was sitting behind the counter just leaning there. You know, where I worked, they'd be like, time to lean, time to clean. They'd give you a... Well, she's leaning back there, and the workers are just putzing around, and my mother-in-law says, all the tables are dirty. They need to be wiped down. This lady took a bucket and a, and a, a rag full of bleach and, and threw it at my mother-in-law. It did not go over well. (laughs) She's an older lady. She's old school. She has manners. She expects respect. And she lit this little one up. (laughs) If you were telling you, you go like, she lit her up. Don't just push that. The lady didn't go to what to do. We still laugh about it years later. It was one of the best moments of my life. I, I loved it. It was awesome. I was like, you remember that time mom did that? Yeah, yeah, I remember. (laughs) But people, you know, the whole idea of being a servant, the whole idea of uh, doing what's expected of us and being motivated to, to, you know, to do our job, to do our part, to, to, to not slough it off on somebody else. It's all about discipline and motivation. And I want you to understand that. You know, there are times where we're not successful or we're not productive, and it's because we're not motivated. 
And sometimes it's hard to admit, but there are times in all of our life where we're not very motivated to do kingdom things. Oh, another thing at church, another meeting, another service, another, oh, again, we're having this. How long is this going to go? When's he going to shut up? Have you ever been to churches like that? Where you could see people looking at their watches, the preachers are up there, he's going, Man, you can't, you can't script that right there. Somebody's alarm went off and they're leaving. Like, time's up, buddy. You had 20 minutes to make sense. I'm out. So discipline and motivation. Realize all of us need to bring our hearts before the Lord and, and say, God, you know, search me, try me, know me. Like David said, am I motivated? Am I all about doing my thing and having fun? And what did they say, you know, that, that this, you know, the people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. There's times where I had to look at my own life and I'm like, God, is that me? I go from one thing to the next, one hobby to the next, one sport to the next. Woo, it's turkey season, it's deer season. <laughs> if you can't relate, I feel sorry for you. But, you know, we have to be motivated for kingdom things. And if we'll have discipline and motivation, we'll be productive and we'll hear well done, good and faithful, certain. Before we talk about the master's judgment of the servants he, and the one he calls wicked and lazy, let's acknowledge that the servant given the five talents produced five more and the servant given two talents produced two more. There's a valid principle in there that I don't want you to miss. It proves that the old adage is true. If you want something done, assign it to a busy person. How many have heard that paradigm in business or experienced it or just you know, you know you got one person that they got nothing to do and they can't get nothing done. And you assign something to them and it doesn't get done and it's dragging on and how you doing with that? Uh. Then you give it to the person who's got 10 things going on and they're always hustling and they're always on the phone and you give it to them and instantly it's done. Because if you want something done, you give it to a busy person. Why? Because the busy person has been able to have that much on their plate because they learn to be disciplined and productive. So understand that God didn't make a mistake who he gave five because that guy immediately produced five more. He didn't make a mistake on who he gave two because that guy was productive. And you know what? You and I need to be, I know all of us feel like we're too busy, but thank God if we can get things done for the kingdom of God. And if you and I can't get anything done for the kingdom, if you've been reading the book of John for four years, step up your game. If you've been thinking about getting involved in ministry, if you're going to step up your game. And the valid principle here, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. When God wants something done, he gives it to a person motivated to do kingdom things. And even though they're busy, it's not an, it's not an annoyance to them. It's not an impossibility. They're excited about doing kingdom things. It's vitally important for you and I to be motivated about the kingdom of God. Don't look at what you don't have and make it an excuse to not get the job done. Instead, maximize everything you do have and more importantly, be willing to put the work in. Do you know what the problem is in the kingdom? Is that there's not enough laborers. Do you know why there's not enough laborers? Because there's not enough people willing to roll their sleeves up and put the work in. 
And what did Jesus say to the one servant that buried? He said, you lazy, you wicked. So you see that laziness component is there. And you know what? Lazy people, unproductive people always have excuses, and this guy had some too. I knew you were a hard man. That's a heck of a thing to say to your master. Verse 18 serves as a reminder for each of us. And I want to read you verse 18, and we're going to close with this. But he who has received one, the one talent, went and dug in the ground. At least he dug. That was, you know, productive. And he hid the Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So, uh, you know, verse 18, the guy digs the hole. We get that. But here, listen to verse 19. After a long time. Say a long time. See, payday doesn't come sometimes but it always comes. It does, oh, well, when am I going to get my reward? When am I going to get my breakthrough? When is God going to answer my prayer? It's been a long time. Just because it's been a long time doesn't mean God forgot. These guys uh, were away from the master. He was away for a long time, but he was still coming back, and he was still going to settle up with them, and they were still going to have a give a, an account for what they did. And the sobering thing is that so are we. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will judge the quick and the dead. You and I will stand before the throne of God and give an account for how productive we were with the gifts and abilities and callings that he gave us. We're wise not to allow the passage of time to lull us to sleep. See, the tendency for these guys was like, ah, he, the master, he's never coming back. Is he even alive? Has anybody heard from him? The guy with the one talent was like, I'm going to dig it up and spend it. I don't think he's coming back. But he was coming back, and Jesus is coming back, and we're all going to give the count. And so we've got to, the passage of time has an amazing lulling effect on us, and it'll put us to sleep, and it'll put us in an unmotivated state if we let it. But keep your edge sharp. Don't get dull. Keep your hope alive. He said he'd return, and he will. Least we fall asleep like the ten virgins. Remember, five had the Holy Ghost, five just had religion, but all ten of them fell asleep. So don't underestimate the lulling effect of the passage of time. But stay sharp, stay alert, stay motivated. Stay in love with Jesus, and you and I will accomplish things for the kingdom of God. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we just thank you tonight for this parable and all the implications and principles that are here for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing the word of God alive to us tonight. That we're not dead people serving a dead God, exercising dead religion, but we serve the living God. And the living word has come alive to us tonight by the Holy Spirit. So I pray that all the things that you wanted to quicken to us tonight, we wouldn't miss one of them, but tuck them in our hearts tonight that they would produce fruit in us. That we would be those who are motivated and disciplined. That we would be those who are watching from the coming of the Lord and staying in love with Jesus and being spiritually productive. That we wouldn't be lulled to sleep, but that we'd stay alert and sharp. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Give him some praise tonight. Our brother Angel's going to come tonight and share a testimony of healing. I, I, um, I had mentioned uh, about te sharing testimonies. Do you remember that? And um, when Tim preached about healing during our healing service, uh, God healed some people. When Pastor Frank uh, prayed on Sunday, God healed some people. If you were here on Sunday, some people got up and testified that they were healed. Well, we have another healing testimony tonight. So, Angel, I want you to come and share that with us. Hello? Uh, so I'm here to uh, show my goods and uh, roll up my sleeves. Well, we are, sorry. So I'm Dynasty. Um, so uh, on July 1st, 2014, I was 12 years old. And it was a pretty nice day outside, I'd say. It was just about the season. We opened up our pool. We went to this. Namco, we were getting our chemicals done. We had just got home and I was holding a shock bottle to clear up the pool, get rid of the green stuff. And I was holding it by the cap and I was showing my mom and the bottle fell out from underneath me. And when it hit the floor, it splashed up and it fell right into my eyes. Um, immediately I started freaking out. I, they didn't know what was going on because they didn't understand exactly what I was feeling so he rushed me over to the sink and he starts rubbing my eyes and then I started screaming even more because it was getting worse um, so my mom grabbed me and she brought me underneath the bathroom sink and she starts flushing my eyes out and then that's when we realized we needed to go to the hospital I looked in the mirror and my eyes were peeling outside um, so we all got in the car right we're driving he's eating red lights as a Christian you know he's doing great um, <laughs> we get to the hospital and they tell us to go sit down, that there was a long wait. And he carried me through the doors and he puts me in a bed and they start flushing my eyes and they tell us that we had to see a doctor, but that the chances of me getting my eyesight back was close to none. So they recommended me to one of the best eye doctors in Fishgill. So we went that next morning, um, and he told us to put some creams in, right? And uh, he said that he's had cases just like mine where his patients lost their eyes, lost their eyesight, and that the chances of me recovering from it were, again, close to none. Um, so he sends us home, creams, eye drops. Um, he said if these didn't work, he was going to try surgery, but that wasn't a complete healing, I guess. Um, so he sends us home. The next day, we go to the doctor, and he pauses. And um, he looks at me, and he was just like, well, three days later, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was three days later, not the next day. <laughs> the third day, yeah. <laughs> we went back, and he looks at me, he pauses, and my mom thought something, she wasn't doing something right. She thought she missed, like, a day of cream or something, you know? Um, and he tells us that, everything was fine. That I went from having a 40% cornea bird in my left eye to a, and a 10% in my right eye to being completely healed. Yeah. So I remember in that moment, um, 
I was very doubtful. I was confused. And I was wondering why, being that I knew God was a great person, I was confused as to why he was letting something so bad happen to me. And it wasn't until years later where I understood exactly what he wanted to happen. It was a part of his plan. I just didn't know it yet. So here I am, and I'm sharing that with you to show his glory and his grace. God is good. God is really good. And um, so I'm just, you got to love God. So when that happened, right, as a father, and your kid is crying out, dad, help me, and you can't help them, that's really rough. And I tried to fix it, and I couldn't fix it. I flipped chairs over in the hospital and tables. Like she said, I was running red lights. Um, and I couldn't fix it. And um, it was, I have a picture. That's the picture right there. It was when we got to the hospital, and I'm holding her hand, and she says, Dad, can you tell the guys from church to pray? I forgot about God. I forgot about prayer. And, um, and I said, oh, yeah, the guys from church. So I send a group text, and um, immediately everybody's replying. So I'm reading to her, you know, what they were saying to encourage her. And, um, and like she shared, you know, it was, it, was, it was a horrible experience. And as if I wasn't in anguish enough, she asked me, Dad, why do bad things happen to me? Like, I, I, did, I did not have the answer to that question. And, um, but to God be the glory, here we are, and she's healed. Amen. Amen. You know, when... We're in these spots in life, you know, I, I love the honesty in that testimony. You know, we, we get paralyzed sometimes, and we don't know what to do, but always reach out to the body of Christ. Because when we're weak, our brothers and sisters can be strong for us. When we don't have a prayer to pray, somebody's got uh, intercession for us. And I'm telling you, prayer works. Prayer works. And God answers prayer, and I, I thank God for that testimony. You know, even in my own health, in my own life, we, I got a testimony coming. I'm just waiting for doctors to confirm what the Lord is doing in my body. Keep praying for me. Keep believing. Amen. Amen. 